Hey folks, welcome to the Road Regrets Podcast. My name is Tanner James. I'm Dylan S. Keating. And this week we're going to talk about the Great North Tour 2016. Dylan, what does that entail? Well folks, we got some show reviews, book reviews, film reviews, some history lessons, geography. Don't touch that iPod dial. Woo woo! Hey folks, welcome to the Road Regrets Podcast. My name is Tanner James. I'm here with my good buddy Dylan S. Keating, live in the flesh. And this week we're going to talk about the Great North Tour 2016 edition. This was a tour that we did last year. um, And we sort of fell in love with the North. And we said we'd do it once. And we did it again. I think it might be an annual thing by this time. Uh, first place we're going to talk about that really made an impression on us was a place called Wells, BC. You're probably sitting there wondering where the hell Wells, BC is, uh, unless you've been to the Arts Wells Festival, and then you're probably in love with it. I think that's what has put it on the map in more recent years and made it culturally relevant. Um, it is a place, a small town that is north of a few hours north of Kamloops. It's a couple hours south of Prince George. Uh, Located real close to Quinell, I think that's how you pronounce it, but I think we were wrong at one point if it was Quinell or not. Yeah, we were calling it Quesnel for a while, and that's not uh, not quite the right way to say it. Yeah, nothing like going through a town and call, butchering the name. <laughs> so what did you, Dylan, Wells is, a, Wells is an interesting place, uh, seeped in bizarro history. Um, what, did you, what, did you, what did you know about Wells coming into this? Well, all I really knew before we went there was that I had a lot of friends who did a lot of acid at the Arts Wells Festival. Um, it, Arts Wells is this, uh, anyone who's ever played it goes back and plays it like every year. It's crazy. I've never been to it, but it's definitely on my bucket list. And I, sorry, I, I don't know many festivals like that. I, you know, f- there, there's, there's more and more festivals every year and, and that's one of the few festivals that I really like has a cult following like you said everybody that goes there or plays there goes back every year and doesn't shut up about it yeah there's definitely something magical about the town itself it's like an old it was an old gold mining town um in the earlier half of the 20th century and basically the the mine shut down and that was the only industry in the town it's it's named after the founder uh his last name is wells and so basically, there's no industry in the town, and for years it just kind of stagnated. And then, in recent years, it's become this like artist and hippie enclave because houses are cheap and uh, it's just it's off the beaten path. So all the houses there just painted these crazy colors, and um, there's lots of cool churches that have been converted into art galleries or art spaces. And they have uh, theater there and. Yeah, it's a cool place. Yeah, it's just a hub for hub for the arts. And then a few miles down the road is a place called Barkerville, which is a historic, uh, what would you call it? A historic, uh, not amusement park, but a historic town that, that sort of... People, yeah, like people dress up. There's actors that dress up and reenact scenes from like the Gold Rush or something like that. Yeah, so all the, all the, I guess all these actors that work at Barkerville live in Wells during the summer, so... Um, and they all ride their bikes to Barkerville. Yes, it's just this beautiful mixed bag of nuts that, that live there. You know, you have you have there's an there is an active gold mine, correct? No, there's not. It's a there's a diamond mine that just opened up. 
Same shit, no. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a, there's a diamond mine that just opened up, and there's actors, and there's a, sort of a demand for tourism, and I, I imagine there's some, some logging in the area. Um, so yeah, it's a really mixed bag of nuts, which is... Well, it's strange because the, um, you've, you know, you've got these artist hippie types, um, and then you've also got the, the diamond miners. So uh, it's all these people in this uh, small space that kind of have, have to get along, and it's dysfunctional, like, but it's, it still works somehow. Yeah, and the, the churches were really memorable to me because they were mostly turned into and ran by local artists um, and sort of doubled as art galleries and coffee shops and... Um, and there's plaques on every building that we went to, so you got kind of got a history lesson just walking around before the show. And I, I kind of feel when we got there, this oh, wow, this place is this is a quirky place, which is always nice. I find sometimes being on the road that uh, gentrification and chain stores and suburban hell can kind of catch up to you in Canada. And there's times I walk out of a, a place and I, I don't know where I am, but I could very well be any place in Canada. And it's starting to look, to me, Canada is starting to look really, really similar and a lot of areas and so Wells is a breath of fresh air for a guy like me that spends a lot of time on the road. Um, it, one of the things we were laughing about is the the fire hall and the plaque out front said how the fire hall had burnt down. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of irony there. And I always love that stuff. Um, and the Wells Hotel itself, tell me about the Wells Hotel where we played. Yeah, it was cool. It's just this old historic hotel so the... Um, the rooms are super small. There's no TVs in the room, um, and actually, there's no, there's like no cell reception in Wells too. So I noticed at the bar when we played, everyone was forced to watch the band and actually talk to one another. And there's no Wi-Fi either because it's expensive to get out there. So people are a lot more social, and um, people there's a lot more storytelling, and there's a good sense of community there. So I wonder if more. If more places were like that, if the world would be a better place. Yeah, the first we, when we when we got to the Wells Hotel and we checked in and right before after we loaded in and got set up before we played, we sat down at the bar and uh, we met a, a guy that told us he was a juggler and he was uh, really serious about it. He was a really cool guy and that's something I've never came across um, being on the road. Everyone seemed to have a story. Um, that old guy told us all those dirty jokes. He was too drunk to even think. Yeah, and dad jokes as well. He mixed dirty yeah. jokes and dad jokes, which is awesome. And so we played at the Wells Hotel, and the bartender was talk, telling us how they have the, the biggest scotch collection in BC. Am I right? right? Yeah, the biggest single malt scotch single collection. Single malt scotch collection. And some guy uh, bought us a couple scotches, and apparently they were pretty expensive. I don't have the... I don't have the education and the palate to, to quite appreciate a good scotch, but I was uh, unintentionally drunk, and I enjoyed that scotch very much. Yeah, we had like a $6 scotch, and then the guy bought us, he bought us around, and then we tried it, and we are like, oh, that's pretty good. And then the bartenders like, yeah, that's like an $18 scotch. And in Vancouver, it would be like a $30 scotch or something. So kind of lost on me, and I, I probably wouldn't have bought it myself, but it was a really nice gesture, and... Uh, yeah, it was good. And there was just a strange, there was just a strange town, and playing there was 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 fun. It was a really nice show, and they have a they have an arts residency program. I can't remember the organization that puts it on, but uh, for anyone that's interested, I know it's it's pretty affordable. It's a good place to go out and create any medium that you're interested in. And 
you know, I went to the Banff Center last, um, last year and did a residency out there, and that kind of felt like a, I loved it, but it felt like a really highbrow version of an arts residency, and I think the arts residency in Wells would be about the exact opposite, which I think would be good for creation. Yeah, you might lose your mind a little bit, but that might be good. Yeah, process. apparently they get socked in pretty pretty hard in the winter, so it's pretty isolated, and, and uh, uh, people told us they have really good air quality and really good water quality, and um, and it felt like a really strange and beautiful place. I wonder if it would be like The Shining if you're holed up in that the Wells Hotel, because it's, it's definitely pretty creepy. I've always sort of mildly fantasized about running an old hotel or maintaining an old hotel in the in the winter months, and... and uh, I think it would be more enjoyable to be the per- the one that lost their mind as opposed to the one that's just being, ch- just being chased around a haunted hotel with little options. <laughs> Have you read The Shining? I know we talked about the film a lot and we tried to do a, we tried to do a Stanley Kubrick marathon this, this uh, we started in November and we failed miserably but we did, we did get through a few, uh, we had seen most of his films, uh, collectively I think we've seen all his films but we, we made it through a few and we did not touch The Shining which I've seen numerous times that I'm a big fan of. I know you are, but have you read the book? Uh, yeah, I read the book in grade eight and it scared, scared the shit out of me. It was, it was really scary. I never, had never been scared by a book before and I don't think I've been scared like that since. And then I watched the movie right after and the movie is just like, it's so much, it's so different than the book. Uh, but in a good way that I appreciate now, but when I had just read the book and watched the movie, I was like, this sucks. What, what the hell is this? But um, you, with it, with Stanley Kubrick's, you you almost can't compare his films to his source material because it's it it it's completely different than that that cliche saying that the book is always better than the movie because it with Stanley Kubrick the book is always different than the movie. And usually now I like I prefer the movie, and I've heard other people. I've never read like Clockwork Orange, but yeah, I've read Clockwork Orange, and uh, it's it's a great book. But the movie is so iconic at this point; it's hard to even. Like when we watched it, it just it, it it was so familiar and it was yeah. so it was it, it it was just so deeply rooted in pop culture at this point that it it's it's hard to even separate it. Huh, that's interesting. I think The Shining is like that too. Have you read The Shining? I haven't. I'm really I'm really interested in uh, Stephen King right now. I I I I haven't read Stephen King on writing, but I really want to read that. And so I have this new. Appreciation. For, I just learned a little bit of Stephen about Stephen King's life, and I have this new sort of respect for him. So I'm interested in going back and and um, checking out some of his major works. And I know Corin Raymond always talks about how he got people into reading, he got kids into reading, and people into yeah. reading, which is I'm all for that. So so I'm I'm interested in going back to The Shining. You gotta read um, The Shining's good, and you gotta read The Stand. That's like his yeah. best book. It's yeah. so good. It's, I read like the director's cut version, which added like a couple hundred pages and it took forever, but it was so worth it. You read the... It, he, re- he released it, like when he originally released it, he had to edit it down because it was huge. Ah. And then he re- re-released it like decades later as like a director's cut version, basically. So they added in a lot of extra stuff. Huh. So I haven't read the original, but the one I read was great. As far as I know, his first novel was Carrie. And I know, I think he sold the... I think he sold the, the rights that, or got a publishing deal on two hundred grand, and that was he was able to quit his job as a school teacher, and uh, write full time. Or I can't remember if he sold the film rights or just sold the the rights for the book. Um, 
But regardless, we were on a tangent, but that's good. That's what we do here in Rotogratz is <laughs> lose our minds as you do on the road. Um, I remember when we were talking about the Wells Hotel, I think it was on the menu, they had a, a story about how, I think his name was Patty McDonald that, that either designed or, or, or brought the Wells Hotel to fruition and how at one point he realized with such, such an isolated facility that and people making so much money in the mines back in the day that he could just double the prices and probably get away with it. And so he did that. And then in true punk rock fashion, the miners decided, well, we'll pay that. We'll pay that from five cents to 10 cents a beer, no problem. But we're gonna smash all the glasses. And they would finish a drink and they'd smash the glasses in the fireplace and push can to shove and he had no choice but to bring the prices back down to what he started at. I wish, uh, it sounds a lot like uh, during the boom times in Calgary when beer became like nine or 10 bucks a pint um, I wonder if, like, no one rioted because of that. But why, maybe we should have. Why didn't we have the sense to just say no? Yeah. So. I think anyone listening to this podcast should go to a bar in Calgary tonight, one of those expensive ones, and smash a pint glass, just just in solidarity with the Wells miners. You know, I've, I've, I've commented on some before on social media, and it's bullshit charging 9 or $10 for a beer. And we have seen... Prices go down quite a bit in Calgary because of recession, but yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we need to to uh, we take the power back. We need to revolt. Yeah, um, I'll play the song "Revolution" by the Beatles on my phone, and we can just <laughs> smash some shit. That's uh, that's too tame. We'll get some punk rock going. Yeah, get some Sex Pistols. <laughs> Another place we loved. We loved it last year. We loved it even more this year is the wonderful Prince Rupert. Yeah, we, we played at a brewery there, and you should never... If there's a place where you shouldn't smash a pint glass, it's that place, because it's the most magical brewery on the planet. And that is called the Wheelhouse Brewery, and it is in Prince Rupert, BC. And geographically, Prince Rupert is located right on the coast. It is in northern BC. It is... There's so many bald eagles there. It's beautiful. Yeah, there was a lot of bald eagles. Bald eagles and uh, spruce tips. Spruce tips. So one of the one of the seasonal beers that we fell in love with is called the Scurvy Dog Ale. Yeah. And it is a beer that is brewed with fresh local spruce tips, which the three owners explained to us that they went on a camping trip with their families and they picked, I think they said 70 kilos or something of uh, spruce tips and that it goes in the beer. And when that's out, it's out. So it's that seasonal, that local. And the lo- local legend has it that sailors in the area used to put, used to get scurvy. So as a, as a result and a solution to that, they started putting spruce tips, which are uh, dense in vitamin C, into their beer. And apparently that helps. So this is kind of a, a play on local history. But it's, it's a fantastic beer too. Yeah. I wonder how they knew that it had vitamin C in it like back in the day. I, I wonder how a lot of things were determined back in the... I think a lot of trial and error was... Uh, yeah. Human lives just weren't as valuable back then. You could experiment <laughs> a little bit. Ethics didn't exist. Yeah. It's such a good beer, though. It's, like, really really sweet and kind of bitter. I'm not super up on my, my beer terminology, but it's... Yeah, it's just got a really great flavor. Too. I, I haven't quite tasted anything like it before. No. And I, and I loved it. And when we went back after our trip, we when we were back in Prince Rupert... We tried to pick up a bunch of bottles to bring home. And we drank, for two days straight, we drank nothing but scurvy, scurvy dog. And then we tried to pick up more, and then they were, they were out. And it was, that was it for the season. I think that's, 
um, that's a really it makes me want it more. Yeah, exactly. Nothing gold can stay. That's what <laughs> I always say. Sounds cool. There's a lot of great beer up in uh, northern BC. There's a lot of great beer in BC, but man, in northern BC sort of has my heart. Yeah. Well, even that in the Wells Hotel, they just have this fantastic collection of craft beers. And we after the show, we kind of just hung around and sampled different beers with uh, with the bartender. And yeah, there's a brewery in Barkersville, correct? It's not in Barkerville. It's called Barkerville, but it's uh, ah, it's, but it's in, in Prince George, Quinell. Quinell. Um, yes, and it's cool. It's it's all like gold rush themes. Did we go to that brewery? We went to a brewery in Quinell. What, what yeah. was it? That, yeah, that, that was one? the one. Yeah, yeah. We, that, we had some tried, good beer there. And we tried the flight of beer, and I think we we saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. We, brought, we did we brought, brought Barkerville beers in. Oh yeah, in the beer. yeah. There wasn't that. There was a bunch of kids in there. And I remember. <laughs> I remember standing there. Waiting for you to go to the bathroom after the after the the movie and which was awesome by the way. <laughs> and seeing this this lady cleaning the cleaning the theater and coming out with with these big tall bottles of Barkville and like showing her manager and being like, Look what I found She's, in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It was those, I, I would have blamed it on those kids. <laughs> I I tried I I stood there loud and proud and tried to blame it on someone else, but that's how I live my life as well. <laughs> yeah, that that movie is actually packed. Yeah, the only real scene I remember was where they're they're like above the basketball game in like New York uh, Knicks game or something. Yes, like that. and then they're eating a, a pizza, and then the one slice falls, and the guy trips on it. It's just classic, classic turtles. Yeah, yeah, best scene in the house from the jumbotron. There, there's a hole in. It, they're just watching the, the game. And uh, I I couldn't help but notice that they made Raphael, uh, black. There's, yeah, it was. I don't really remember the sh- the original show too much, but it was race wasn't as prevalent yeah. as as this one. You know, they definitely picked some uh, picked some sides, and uh, and and uh, and it was it was more obvious, and that was that was something I didn't remember. But this was the sequel. We didn't see the first one. Yeah, this is the new like reboot one where they're like CGI characters. Do you remember that show reboot? It's yeah. a Canadian show. Yeah, I love that. Apparently, show. it's, it's, it's back. yeah, They're it's being reboot. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That, that show is amazing. Yeah, it was like super ahead of its time too. It kind of that's kind of like when you first were learning about computers when you're a kid. You I, learned a lot from that. that I show. tried to watch it a couple years ago, and it was almost too. I was having an existential crisis, and reboot is not the show you want to watch when you're having an existential crisis. Does to it feel like. Up? Um, the storytelling does the animation or the um, is a little bit dated. Yeah. Um, but it it did. I was still engaged. I was interested. It wasn't like I I revisit because of Teletoon Retro. You can revisit on the internet. You can pretty much revisit anything you want. And it's, it's amazing to me how some stuff is better than I remember and some stuff is awful. I try to watch. Yeah. I, I've revisited all my favorite cartoon shows and. Um, I tried to watch G.I. I watched G.I. Joe's and I watched a double part episode about how one of the G.I. Joe's was on trial for treason. It was amazing. <laughs> Pretty heady stuff for yeah. a kid's show. Yeah, and like it was it was intelligent and it was interesting and I don't think the le- legal ramifications were quite held to a North American court standard, but but it, other than that it was pretty cool. <laughs> and then I watched Thundercats a while back and Thundercats was awful. I, I don't know how it, and at the time, I was unable to distinguish the difference between between those shows. And then I watched Transformers, and Transformers had some good jokes, and I thought I, it, I thought it held up pretty well. 
Yeah. Um, I watched. I rewatched Beetlejuice as well. Do you remember that show? Like the show. The, yeah. The, the animated series. Yeah. Yeah, I love the show. And it's all really bad puns, but they're kind of awesome. But like, it's that same humor over and over and over and over. Yeah. And that I don't think I got half the jokes when I was a kid, even though they were quite simple. But it's the, it's the exact same one-dimensional humor over and over and over. I found that interesting. I, I wasn't able to pick up on. Aren't they rebooting Beetlejuice as well? As a film or as a... Yeah, s- like I heard they're I, I, making a sequel I could it? see that the, fi- the, 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 the Timber... It was a Tim Burton film, I think. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I didn't see it till later in life. I loved the show as a kid. Yeah. It's not really a kid's movie. And it's weird that they made a kid's show based on this pretty like adult movie. Yeah, yeah. It was sort of a campy... Campy... Dark comedy? Yeah, yeah. Black comedy? Um, yeah, Beetlejuice is great. Would you say that Tim Burton's golden days back back then? I think so. I, like, I'm not... I haven't seen all of his stuff, but... Um, that The Willy Wonka movie? He did that one, right? Yeah. It was awful. Yeah, it's awful. But Tim Burton hasn't been good for forever. Yeah. But... Ed Wood was, like, amazing. Yeah. Yeah, Ed Wood was great. The My first... My first encounter with Tim Burton film was... Edward Scissorhands, and I think I was, I'm going to take a stab and say I was f- somewhere between four and six years old, and my uncle rented it, and I'm, I was staying at my grandma's house on a weekend, and I remember I got to stay up late and watch Edward Scissorhands, and the gamut of emotions that I went through watching that, that, that was magical, that was a beautiful movie. I've never seen it. What? Yeah, it's a sin. That is a sin. When, Tim- I, was a, when I was a kid, uh... My dad let me watch Hellraiser, and it was uh, oh. not the most family-friendly movie. But I watched it recently, and it's like it's stupid. It's it's really campy and cheesy. Hellraiser, I I is that the guy with the, all the nails coming out of his head? Yeah, Pinhead. Pinhead, yeah. And there's like the cube that's like bringing the demons to the world. Huh, I don't remember Hellraiser that that well. It's it's not worth watching, but. Most of my most of my knowledge came from I for a brief period of my life when I was five through close almost ten I I lived in a farm my whole life but we we moved to town and we had the Super Channel which is I guess now would be Movie Central okay. and with TV in the basement with a VCR and I had three cassette tapes and I could tape I could tape. You you could fit about I think you could fit like sometimes two two movies on one tape sometimes one and a half and so I had to be very economical with what I taped right of course but I watched a lot of horror movies but I was way too afraid to tape them really you wouldn't tape them no 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 and plus like that was not something I wanted to watch over and over and over right so I remember the the important films to me that that kind of stick out in my memory that that wouldn't be taped over was I, I remember taping Cocktail with Tom Cruise <laughs> and I remember being five years old and watching Tom a Cocktail with Tom Cruise at least weekly it taught me a lot about life is it, is it like good lessons like I haven't seen to- uh, Cocktail it's horrendous it's, it's yeah Co- Top Gun's amazing too uh, Cocktail no it's horrendous it's I, I watched it a while back and it's so misogynistic and it's so 80s and it taught me everything I know about women <laughs> no, Is that I. Why you have an album called "How to Ruin Your Life with Women"? No, that's that's me trying to make a an album like High Fidelity. Oh right, right. Yeah, I think that's more gentle and hipster friendly. I think that in the movie Cocktail, a young Tom Cruise, 
who's completely inefficient as a bartender. He's flipping bottles, flipping two sixes, and he's taking forever to pour a drink. But he's just good looking enough and sh- um, enough of a showman to get away with the bullshit. So him, uh. he's in the city, and I believe it's in Boston, set in Boston. And I know there's some sort of underlying Irish theme. That's why I say it, I believe it's set in Boston. And him and his, uh, and I think, and him and his uh, mentor. Like, do you need a mentor when you're bartending? Probably not. But his no. mentor in life and bartending uh, teaches him everything he knows and then eventually uh, he goes down to I think he's in Jamaica and he's bartending in Jamaica with his mentor and then he meets this this girl and they hit it off and they uh, are uh, they're dating and and then um, he his mentor convinces him to go after take a run at this rich cougar so he does successfully because he's Tom Cruise course yeah yep and then he this this girl that he's uh, that he's together with gets mad at him for for just reasons and she leaves and then he later finds out that she's pregnant and he goes back home and he is goes to her place to try and find her and he finds out that she's filthy rich she's so rich and he goes to her parents place and somehow he spins the entire about you know him knocking her up and cheating on her somehow he like spins that all and puts the blame on her by saying, you know, you're rich and you never told me that. But how did he not know that she was rich? You're in Jamaica, you don't have to... Oh. Okay. It was easy, died. Right. So her dad tried to offer him money to make him go away, and he took his check and he rolled it up. And he, I remember, I still remember this, and he points his finger at him and he says, this is how much money matters to me. And he rips up this check and throws it away. So badass. And that taught me everything I know about women is that if you just spin it and put the blame on them. No, I'm kidding. I'm being, I'm being a smart ass. But that was probably the worst movie for a five-year-old to watch. And, and uh, that, I thought that's how the world works. And I thought bartending was uh, the most noble profession. And you just need to blame everyone else but yourself. And I probably have still battled with some demons because of that movie. Thanks, Mom and Dad, for letting me watch Cocktail Weekly. At five years old. <laughs> there's not enough, uh, there's no mentors in movies anymore. There isn't. You're like right. You had the Karate Kid, you had uh, in the 80s, Estevez and Money Ducks. In the, in the 80s and early 90s, I guess mentorship was... was a lot more. Yeah, it was important. Yeah, I, th- I feel like uh, everyone thinks they know, like, was it, did, Vin Diesel never had a mentor, did he? Just showed up and kicked ass. Like in life, like as a as an actor. No, no, as a, in his in his. In Fast uh, and Furious. Yeah, in his, in his, yeah, in Fast and Furious. Okay, like I, I I didn't watch I haven't watched hardly any of these movies, but Fast and Furious. Let's, let's use as a case study. I think that he showed up, dominated alpha male. Paul Walker showed up, and dominated and was an alpha male from the undercover police side of things. I don't think there was a mentorship role. I think they might have maybe learned a few things from one another over seven fucking movies, but I don't think. I don't think there's a definitive mentorship role. Wasn't Vin Diesel a mentor? Didn't he teach him how to steal cars? And it was still even if, even if he did, it was a skewed mentorship role because Paul Walker, rest in peace, brother. What <laughs> pour pouring out? <laughs> pour a drink out for Paul Walker. Um, I Paul Walker was an undercover cop, so he was still it was it was right. a. You know, it, it wasn't, wasn't a true mentorship because no. there was lies involved. No, yeah, not like the Karate Kid where it was, it was pure. pure. Yeah. Huh. So how did we go from talking about the Scurvy Dog Ale 
at the Wheelhouse Brewery to the Karate Kid. Jeez, good question. James, if you're listening from the Wheelhouse Brewery, um, we'll let you email in and figure that one out yourself, bud. So, yeah, speaking about uh, the Wheelhouse, um, we, uh, so we played there, and it was awesome, and uh, just a really great show. And we were supposed to go to Haida Gwaii the next day, which, as some of our listeners might know, we planned to go there last year on the Great North Tour. But for various reasons, it didn't work out. And this year, we decided to face our demons and actually go this time. Um, uh, what did you think about the show in uh, Prince Rupert Town? What did you think about the, the whole journey to Haida Gwaii? Uh, I love the show in Prince Rupert. I love the wheelhouse. I love the people in Prince Rupert. It was a fantastic show. It was one of my favorite shows of the tour. Um, it was fun. It was just a fun, feel-good show. Everything about it was great. Um, it was this what what festival was it? There was a festival during that day that we were, we kind of oh we're lucky so we're lucky enough to be involved and so we were kind of the band playing at the wheelhouse during Sea Fest and it was great. Played this awesome show and they had this outdoor beer gardens set up and then right before we played they shut down the beer gardens and the bar was packed and it was a it's a really warm and uh, awesome atmosphere in there. Um. Yeah, so that was a great show. Do you want to tell them what happened the next day? So we stayed in Prince Rupert overnight, obviously. Yeah, so uh, drank a lot of scurvy dog beers. And our, our whole plan is uh, to go to Haida Gwaii the next day. And um, we were planning to take the car on the ferry, uh, but we booked it last minute and they didn't have room for the car. So we figured, well, we'll buy bikes at Walmart, um, go to Haida Gwaii, leave the gear in Prince Rupert. Um, Bike, bike around the island, and then when we got back to Prince Rupert, we returned the bikes, uh, as one does. Classic. Classic. Um, and then we, we, we played the show, and we were just talking to James, the owner of Wheelhouse, and we told him our plan, and he was like, well, the, the Walmart here sucks, and they don't actually sell bikes. So we're like, okay, well, we'll go to a, uh, like a store that rents bikes. And he said, well, the guy that owned that shop just retired last week. So we're like, oh, shit, we're... What are we gonna do? So James says, "Well, boys, are like we'll we'll fix you up. Like we got bikes. We'll we'll get them fixed up, and we'll have them ready at the the brewery the next day, and you can take them on the ferry with you." Um, which is awesome. Just like just the nicest people ever, and we were basically strangers to them, and they took total total care of us. Yeah, that, that's absolutely the first time that a a venue owner has ever said, "We're gonna fix your problems for you." Yeah, just made everything go away, all our problems. So we stayed in a we stayed in a bed and breakfast that night in Prince Rupert, and we went home, well fed and full of scurvy dog ale. And we woke up in the morning. I got a text, and it was James, and he said, you know, "We got bikes. They're fixed up. They're at the brewery for you." So we showed up, and they were kind enough to let us take our gear, which we had with us, and put it in the storage room at the wheelhouse, so we can go to Hadaguay. Bikes were sitting there, and. As we walked in and we're about to put our gear, our, our gear away, there's two guys that we met and they said, hey, one of the tires was was like going flat or had a slow leak. So we decided to run it back to my place and we put one of a tire I had on my bike. And these are two complete strangers. Um, so that was, that was amazing. Um, just because they heard we were going to Hadaguay and had the, the goodness to take it upon themselves to, to make that happen. So Yeah, it was awesome. So we... We hung out and had a few beers. Um, well, we had one beer, and then that somehow turned into four. And and we're chit chatting with the with the with the gentleman that fixed our tires or our our tire on the one bike we were about to borrow. 
Yeah, and they said, uh, well, you haven't put your gear away yet. It's still set up. Um, it's raining. Like, everyone's inside the brewery right now. Why don't you guys play, just play a set? We're like, well, no, like, we don't want to be obnoxious. Like, we just played last night. And they're like, no, no, we'll, uh, we'll collect some tips for you. So they went around the bar collecting tips in a hat for us as we played. And uh, how much did they get for us? It was like 300 bucks or something. Yeah, I think we had just over $300 in tips um, for a little, little, uh, little show. And then I remember the one owner, they, I said, well, you better, ask your owner, like, the, you better ask your owner if it's okay. And he said, yeah, it's fine. Um, just tell them we can't pay them. We said, of course. And then so he said, but they can drink for free. So next thing we know, there's more and more and more pints had been put away and we had 300 bucks in our pocket to go to Hadaguay. And we hadn't really packed or prepared at all for Hadaguay. And we were about to go cycle this island that we've been wanting to go to for, for years. And so that started as a drunken adventure. Yeah, so we, uh, it was pissing rain and we um, put our, well, we put our gear back in the storage room of the brewery and we pack all our stuff. Um, and we were in a tent and camp on the island. We were going to bring a tent that we bought at Walmart and we we're going to return and some sleeping bags, and we were somehow going to affix them to our bikes, uh, which in There's a lot of gear with no, we didn't have any, uh, we didn't have a trailer, we didn't have a, um, we didn't have any racks on our bikes, we had no weight besides our backpacks kind of thing, so, and we had to haul some, a little bit of food and a little rain gear and stuff like that, so it was difficult. Yeah, so then with the money that they raised for us, we were just like, well, screw it, we'll just get a couple hotels or bed and breakfast or something like that. So we just packed the bare minimum that we need, um, Cycle the four kilometers to the ferry terminal, and in the pissing rain. And we didn't have a rain gear on because we left drunk. We weren't ill prepared, and we had to like grab what we needed out of the trunk, which was the bit of gear we had, and and try to pack and and ride there. So we were, yeah, we were soaked by the time we got there. Yeah, so yeah, mistakes were made, I guess you could say. But the ferry. Uh, what, what was your experience on the ferry? It was, uh, <laughs> so it just at ten p.m. Yes. So to give to give you a little context. Um, to get to Haida Gwaii, formerly known as the Queen Charlotte Islands, if you're unfamiliar with Haida Gwaii. And Haida Gwaii is, some people refer to it as the edge of the world. And I'm fascinated. I, I've been um, really intrigued by Haida Gwaii for a few years. Uh, I remember hearing Stompin' Tom Connors say that the only place in Canada he had never been was the Queen Charlotte Islands. And that's the first time that it, that I, I became obsessed with it, really. And it got it stuck with me. I also picked up a hitchhiker a couple of years ago back and he told me about living off the land in the Queen Charlotte Islands and and he told me about having a cauldron in the woods and snaring rabbits and harvesting mushrooms and making this mushroom rabbit stew and that just sounded so beautiful and free. I think he might have been eating the magic mushrooms there because there's no rabbits on the island. We, so. we did in fact, we asked a Haida elder about if there's any rabbits on the island, they said no. It was a hard no. It wasn't, you know. It wasn't a maybe. It wasn't a maybe. It wasn't that there was years ago. There was no rabbits on, on Hadaguay. And so, yeah, I think this hitchhiker might have been full of shit. Yeah. But he got me there, so we'll give him some credit. So what happened on the ferry was your, was your question that I'm dodging like a politician. Well, so it's a nine-hour ferry ride from Prince Rupert to Hadaguay, an overnight ferry ride. So it... We embarked on our journey at 10 p.m. We tied our bikes up, and essentially, you can pay $150 or whatever for a private cabin on the ferry, or you can just 
take a seat and some people sleep on the floor. We noticed that everyone was sleeping on the floor, so we decided, well, we had our sleeping bags with us. Or no, we didn't. We had nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and I we were soaking wet. I as a... As a and we're soaking, yeah, we're yeah. soaking wet. I think I had a change of clothes that was still dry, so I wouldn't change my dry clothes. You hadn't, you didn't, you were still wet. Yeah. Um, it was freezing on the ferry, and thanks BC Ferries, and we tried to go to sleep, and we we're just coming off our day drunk that we that we got while at the wheelhouse. So we lied down to sleep, and I did fall asleep. And a couple hours later, I heard this noise down the aisle from me. So I looked up, and I'm pretty certain that I saw a man masturbating in his sleeping bag. Well, <laughs> it helps you get to sleep on the ferry, I guess. It is, it is a known effective way to put yourself to sleep, but it's usually not encouraged to be done in public. Well, it's weird because it, they don't shut the lights off all night, and they have that uh, Love, it or, Love It or List It, the home improvement show on the TV, and it's just blasting. So <laughs> it's, it's so hard to sleep on this, this ferry. Yes, I was scarred for life after seeing a guy um, ma uh, presumably masturbate in his sleeping bag and then... Just roll over and go to sleep. <laughs> he rolled over on his stomach and fell asleep instantly. I lied there in fear and anxiety for about 20 minutes and then I decided, well, I'm going to have to go to sleep. I think the lesson to learn from him is you have to be comfortable to get to sleep. So <laughs> if you're comfortable enough that you can masturbate on the floor of a BC ferry, then you're going to have a good sleep. It works. So maybe you don't have to masturbate, but you just have to be comfortable. I'm a results guy. And yeah. you know, if he fell asleep right after, he rolled over and fell asleep. It's, yeah, it's, it works. Yeah, he did not, I didn't see him dispose of his discharge. <laughs> oh, he just... That's disgusting. <laughs> he just rolled over and faced his problems, I think. Yeah, like maybe he could have gone on the the exposed part of the ferry deck and just kind of did it over the side. And there was about four, oh, <laughs> there's about forty people on this ferry, and there's bathrooms all over. Well, there's all those kids, all those. Uh, <laughs> there was in fact kids at the front of the ferry. All those native kids from Washington going to Haida Gwaii on a school trip. That's true. Yeah, yeah. So it was probably frowned upon. Yeah, not but, recommended. So needless to say, we 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 didn't sleep very well on the ferry that <laughs> night. You were wet and cold. I was disturbed. Um, so we made it there at 7 a.m. or something like that, and we got off the ferry, and we found out one of our bike tires had a slow leak. Not the one that was replaced by Ricky and Vaughn, yeah. our, our buddies in Prince Rupert, um, who became our buddies in Prince Rupert. Thanks, boys. Um, but so we, we had a leak, a slow leak, so you bought a, a patch kit at a dollar store. Yeah, just because I was worried about the bikes, I bought this little... Like, probably the worst patch kit you could ever buy from the dollar store. Um, and so anyway, just having to get off the ferry after not having slept and nursing a hangover was not the ideal experience. And I had to use, like, five different patches because they kept falling off. But we got it to work. And we had to ride 40... Our plan was to ride to a place called Tulel, Uh And it was 44 kilometers. And yeah, all along the highway. Yeah. And so we did that. We, we managed to make it happen. And... Our one bike had these fat mountain bike tires. The other thing was, it was certainly not a road bike, but it was at least a little more manageable. And without any sleep, a vicious hangover, we, we trudged through it and we rode 44 kilometers and mostly in the rain, but it was beautiful. It was beautiful. It was right along the ocean and we had just enough snacks with us to get us through. We stopped for a coffee, just decided to lay 
And Tillel is not a town, which we thought it we was. thought it was. It's not a village. It's about two a coffee shop slash general store, and a, a couple shop. yeah, and a couple art galleries and a couple art galleries that double as bed and breakfast. And we found the first bed and breakfast that we came to, and it was on this beautiful acreage. And there was this nice lady. Wasn't it, was her name Margaret? Yeah, Margaret. Margaret, and she was a sweetheart, and she had uh, a herd of. Uh, ducks and geese and turkeys and chickens and they all followed around the yard and it was adorable just and a massive garden too yeah it's so lush there like at every just along the side of the highway there's these berries called salal berries and there's deer everywhere people you can grow so much food there everyone just eats local stuff it's a, a bountiful abundance of natural food and, and you have to live off the land to a degree because there's no real grocery store or anything like that so there's no chain store on the island which I think is beautiful. It's barely a store on the island, really. Yeah. So it's, you know, people really have to, have to exist off the land. And so, yeah, Margaret, you know, all these animals were for food or for eggs or for, uh, for both. And, um, and her hu- husband, there's, there's a plethora of deer available. And there's sort of, every animal in Hadaguay is sort of a unique, uh, unique species because since the Ice Age, they've been essentially isolated. So, yeah. Uh, the I, I believe it was um, it looked to me like a a form of a mule deer, but it was sort of its own species. And the black bear there are the biggest black bears in North America. Yeah, so they're they're black bear on paper, but they're nothing like a black bear you've ever seen. And uh, some people told us that Hadaguay is essentially the Galapagos of the, of the North, and I think that's a accurate way of describing it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, there's, we didn't get to see it, but I want to go back and see uh, Guayhanas, I think oh, it's called. I, I'm been, it's been haunting my dreams. Yeah, it's like it's like a, uh, like a federally protected park. That's, it, that's supposed to be like the true Galapagos. Like, there's all these ancient Haida villages and totem poles, and you can kayak through these islands that are super pristine. Yes, yeah, so we were in the north part of the island, and Guayhanas is, in the, is basically the south half, and it's, it's a series of... Of, of islands and channels and and uh, and and yeah, you can access access it by boat and by kayak, and you need a permit, but the permit's pretty reasonable. And I think you just you have to have an understanding of the of the region to to kind of do it safely. But but yeah. that's that's the wild west. Yeah, I love I love Hadaguay so much because it's unlike anywhere I've ever been, and there's no rules. You can camp anywhere you want. You yeah. can just start a fire on the beach. Uh, Ever we were, you didn't need a permit for. Uh, there's not many tourists at all, and you can just—it's just so accessible and so free and so abundant. It's pretty much like open season for deer, right? So everyone just eats deer. Yeah, there's, there's so much deer. They weren't a native. They weren't native to the island. The, someone brought them over, and so the deer have like no predators except for humans. So there's mm-hmm. tons of them. That's everyone eats deer meat there. Yeah, so that that was that wasn't neat. So we d- we did eat a lot of deer ourselves. Um, we also tried uh, water sea asparagus. I think it was called. Yeah. Yeah, we had a ton so of sea asparagus, um, uh, which we saw when, once we got to Talel and checked into the bed and breakfast. We after forty four k, we decided we'd go for a hike because there's a place called the Shipwreck Hike and Pursue Shipwreck. Ah, uh, and you had to go walk in while it was still low tide, and you had to be out before high tide came in. Yeah, otherwise you got you'd get stranded. So we decided. Well, 
the window was closing and we weren't going to stick around until off to the next day to do it. So we decided we'd go for it then. So it was a 10 kilometer hike. So we did that and, um, we're just exhausted, but we've seen a lot of sea asparagus as we were walking by and the, just a ton of bald eagles out there as well. Yeah, there was. We saw, I, I didn't realize what we saw, um, uh, what looked like an eagle, a large eagle soared direct. It scared the shit out of us cause it soared down right, right above us. And it had a sort of a, uh, brown hood over it, which we later found out was uh, a juvenile eagle. That's what it's called, and it's, will be a bald eagle. But it's is uh, they don't go bald until they're four or five years old. Yeah. And do males and females are they they're all bald? I believe. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, so there's just 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 a lot of wildlife, and it's a very untouched, beautiful part of the world. So the next. Oh, that night we got back from the hike and we were just exhausted. And keep in mind, we checked into a bed and breakfast. You're supposed to get breakfast, but somehow we got dinner out of the deal too. And Margaret brought us some deer meat and she baked us a loaf of banana bread, which we broke in half and I ate, after dinner, I ate half the banana bread in bed. I was so exhausted. The next day we woke up and we decided we'd go to, well, we didn't know exactly where we were going to go to, but we're going to make, we want to make our way up the north to the tip of the island eventually and we had a, four days to do it so we heard that there's no public transit in Haida Gwaii and people seem to hitchhike it seems to be a respectable mode of transportation so we we, we everyone hitchhikes yeah so with our bikes and all our gear we rode about three kilometers and we saw, decided well let's give this a try and the first truck that drove by picked us up yeah yeah it was magical it they, a lot of people drive pickup trucks there too, so it was totally doable to just toss your bike in the, the back of the truck. And the guy was a, he was a sport fisherman for a company there, and uh, he he drove us to well, our plan was to go to Masset, which is I think the biggest town on the island. Or yeah, I think it's eight hundred people in the biggest town on Hadawai, and that's that's kind of the, the the gateway to the north. That's sort of the last last stop before you go in kind of the the wilderness of the north. Yeah, Masset is mile zero of the Yellowhead Highway, actually, mm. which is cool. That is cool. It's the start of the, the Yellowhead Highway. Um, and yeah, the the dude uh, drove us to Masset and then took us on this big tour of Masset and tour, took us on a tour of the reserve and just kind of told us all the cool places to go and where to eat. Yeah, he was the best tour guide ever and that was just, we wouldn't have got that unless we hitchhiked. And... Yeah, that was my first time hitchhiking. <laughs> I, I, same I picked up hitchhikers lots but I had never hitchhiked yeah. so that was cool that was a really cool experience it felt like a really safe place to do it and it's really encouraging we, we, were, we, we were told numerous times how Haida Gwaii is very safe you don't have to lock up your bikes you don't have to lock up your doors you can hitchhike and I really I don't know if I was just buying into that I, I don't know if I was just drinking the Kool-Aid but it really felt like it was safe yeah it did yeah I've never felt like that anywhere on the planet so we spent the day in Masset, which was awesome, and then we thought we had no place to stay, so we thought we'd check into a and b And keep in mind, this is a town of 800 people, so you don't have many options. So there's one kind of hotel, one, two B&Bs. So we went to the first B&B we found, and they were booked, and we went to the second one, and then the hotel was kind of expensive, and um, they directed us to a different place, which was full, and then that lady directed us to, she said, there's a lady cleaning a house around the corner, and she has a B and B, and we we learned that everybody in Haida Gwaii has a B and B if you ask correctly. Yeah. Um, every house is available. You can rent a room, and sort of everyone's always hustling because they have to in Haida Gwaii. 
Yeah, everyone has like multiple side hustles. This lady had like uh, a semi, well, an illegal or a under the table car rental service, uh, <laughs> a B&B. Uh, she was a, like clean houses. And I believe her name was Linda. And so we, um, she said, yes, we could stay there. And I think we paid $50 a night to stay in her place for the both of us. And again, she cooked us dinner and Every she meal. made us bread and she gave us wine w- w- with, uh, made from Salel. Salel very wine. Yeah, so we drank wine. And, uh, and she was great and she was a really cool, she was a character too. Everyone in Haida Gwaii is a character. It's, it's, um, everyone's sort of a draft dodger or frontier person or it's, everyone's hardcore. She told us about how those, uh, the deer go into her yard and then she'll just like, just pop them. Just, she's like, yeah, my son was over and uh, he said, mom, there's a deer in the, in the yard. And then she said, well, you know where the rifle is. It's leaning up against the wall. And then, and then she said, uh, and he went outside and he popped the deer, boom, headshot. And then we cleaned the deer and we had, had it that night for dinner. And you gotta remember, this is a lady probably in her late 60s, maybe, I don't know, or maybe even... She was widowed, too. Yeah, and, she, and she's, you know, shooting deer and, and uh, just running most, this... Most badass lady. Yeah, she's running this, essentially, this, like, mini farm, and she'd ha- she had a, a woofer, um, I believe the acronym stands for working on an organic farm, or working on an organic farm, something like that, and so she had a, she had a woofer there, and he was, he was, a. Uh, Helping out around the farm for, in exchange for, uh, uh, room and board. So Toby, I think it was his name was. So we, yeah, we talked. Sure. Yeah, so he was a cool guy. So, um, yeah, it was it was really neat. So and then we took a nice bike ride around Masset and went in the beach. Went for a long aimless walk on the beach and we saw a large seal. We thought playing in the surf. We found out once we got closer that it was dead and being. Battered by the waves. Yeah, we so got excited because it looked like it was like frolicking in the waves, and then we ran up to it, and then it was like very clearly dead. Yeah, went from I went from like a massive high of excitement to like a crushing low of sadness for this poor seal. Yeah, and then the next day we we got up and we decided to ride. We got up early and decided to ride our bikes. Uh, I think it was twenty five k to uh, North, North Beach, Beach Tow Hill. Um, which is kind of the northern point of the island. So we did so in the rain, and we got up there and we hiked around and we went to the the blowhole and some of the some of the the, the spots in the north. And um, they say on a clear day you can see uh, Alaska from up there. Yeah. Um, we didn't quite weren't quite able to see it. It's, it is very rainy out there. Um, and so we bike we did that and then we biked back to Mass at twenty five kilometers. And we got to Masset, and so that's fifty k round trip, and a lot of hiking, and all all our gear and stuff, and so we were pretty wiped out. And then we decided, well, the next day we were supposed to leave on the overnight ferry at ten p.m. Supposed to board at nine, and we decided, well, we're one hundred twenty k from, or yeah, I think we were one hundred twenty k from, uh, from the ferry terminal. Yeah. So we decided, it would be nice to get a little closer, so we don't miss a ferry. And if you miss your ferry, this is I think Sunday night. Well, you you miss it for you know four days, four days or five days. So it is a big deal. So there's a act literally a bench with a hitchhiking thumb in Masset. Yeah. So we decided. Well, we just rode fifty k, did all this hiking, got back. It's just about dark, and we the, there was a liquor store that was still open. So we pulled in. We decided we needed a beer. So we went to the liquor store and got some tall bottles and poured them into our water bottles and. Just when we finished that and 
disposed of our tall bottles. We sat on the bench and put our thumbs and a truck picked us up just like that. Yeah, just public transit, hiding by public transit. The coolest thing, I, I thought hitchhiking was a really cool way to like learn about the island because we, we caught a ride with uh, uh, a dude who lived on the reserve in Mass City, a sport fisherman, and then we caught a ride with uh, some uh, loggers. Redneck loggers who told us the alternative history of Hadagai, which was, it was interesting to hear nevertheless. Yeah, because they've kind of, they've always been out, like, there's been a little bit of a battle of people who want to cut down the trees and, uh, you know, the Haida people who, are, who want to protect their island. They've kind of always been at odds with each other. So it was cool hearing both sides of the history, and uh, yeah, it was it was neat. Yeah. So we and then we made it to Port Clements. Is that is that how you say it? Yeah. So we made that. So yeah, those guys drove us to Port Clements, and then oddly enough, it's a town of about three hundred people, and there is a backpackers hostel. So we checked into the one of the only places in town somehow is a backpackers hostel, and. It felt like every backpackers hostel I've ever been in, and we stayed there overnight, which is fine. And and the next day we thought, okay, we'll get up, and we have to make it about sixty kilometers to uh, Skidigat, which we thought we could bike, worst case scenario, but maybe we'll try to hitchhike again. And we got on the, we went for coffee, and then got on the highway, and we saw a truck go by and stopped in the middle of the road, and it backed up about five k pick us up yeah just came to us well we put our thumbs out and then it passes by we're like okay like wave them off and then they came to a screeching halt down the highway and just backed up the entire way and it was a a couple uh, a cup an older couple and they were high to elders and they were the best people we could ever get a ride with yeah yeah they gave us a little another history lesson about the island and it was such a broad like we we had three different history lessons from three you know uh um, a young hip sport fisherman, uh, had a man, and then these these two redneck loggers, and then you know these 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 really it felt felt like spiritual high to elders. Yeah. And there's sort of a presence. There's a presence being in the the cab of that truck that felt like we were lucky to be there. When we say redneck, it's it's a lot different than like uh, prairie redneck. It's, they're still like really like intelligent respectful and, yeah. yeah yeah like they were respectful for yeah like you said for Haida Gwaii in Haida Gwaii standards they were redneck yeah. but they were still far from redneck here yeah and there's a there's a spiritual feeling there's a peacefulness to being, being in Haida Gwaii that we're not talking about we're just making sound we're just talking about what we did and, and the logistics of it but I really did feel a, uh, at peace in Haida Gwaii and it's a magical place and um there's so much history, and the Hada people were a really powerful, uh, a really powerful, powerful force from our understanding because they had such a an abundance of protein. So they had salmon, and they had um, the fishing was really strong. And they had just sort of a, uh, for a hunter and gatherer society, they had it really good. When they had all the all the trees too, so they could build really strong canoes, and they had some special. Remember the. The loggers were telling us about the special way that they split the trees that they could build their canoes. Yeah, essentially it was one piece, and they'd, they'd have all these people, and they were able to just warm up the, the wood just enough so that they could bend it, and they'd have these one piece, some of the best, strongest canoes yeah. in the world. They're, you know, the canoes, we say canoes, but they're massive. and fit, you know, a dozen people in them. 
And we, we complained about doing the, the nine-hour ferry ride on, like, this modern BC ferry that had a uh, home and garden TV and poutine. And, but these people were doing it, like, on the open seas in these, like, redwood canoes. Yeah, and you, you were saying that that is the fourth most dangerous body of water in the world. Yeah. And so these guys were, they were basically traversing that through storms in the middle of the night and then invading you know, coastal. The coastal tribes. And apparently they were quite a, a vicious, uh, a vicious culture and they were very strong and powerful. And, and, uh, the Haida people have, they command respect from you. Yeah, they still do. They made, they made the government of Canada bow down and create this like Guayana's this protected island, the protected archipelago of islands. And that's not very common for, for a lot of native tribes in Canada. Yeah, I was reading a book, uh, just finishing a book while we were there, and it was uh, by Naomi Klein, and it was called um, This Changes Everything, and it's kind of about uh, uh, capitalism versus the climate, and uh, right when I was finishing the book, I was talking about um, some, some Hada chiefs and talking about how they successfully fought the Northern Gateway Pipeline and banded together with, with other uh, Aboriginal tribes in Western Canada, and uh, just how the the Haida are very powerful, strong, independent people, and I guess due to their isolation, they haven't been. Um, they've been able to remain independent, uh, and this was really, really special to be out there. And I, I really, it was one of those places that sticks with me almost more than anywhere I've ever been. Yeah, me too. I can't wait to go back. Yeah, Guayana sounds sounds pretty. Uh, that's an adventure there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was really really magical place and uh, Dylan we've been rambling on and on about yeah, Tom Cruise and Hot Gwai <laughs> and we're uh, really we're, covering all our bases we're, yeah we're pop culture historians and we're also uh, Canadian geographers so um, if you have any, anything else you'd like to add about the, the Great Northern Great Northern Tour 2016 no nothing aside from uh, I can't wait till Great Northern Tour 2017 yeah and we will get into that and we'll get into some more uh, good stuff next podcast but uh thanks for listening folks cheers